Good morning, y'all. If you got your Bibles, we're still in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, truly help us to center our hearts on you, God. Truly help us to yield ourselves to you, Father God, to focus on you, to allow you to speak to us, God, to be guided by your spirit, Father God. Give us ears to hear, God, eyes to clearly see, Father God, and feet that will go in your direction. Help us to obey you, God, to love you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're here with Mr. Kohelet, and he's going back and looking over his actions. Just as a repeat, because we got to keep the whole thing together so that we can truly benefit from what's going on. We met him in the opening at the end of his conclusion when he opened up and told us that all life is vanity, that life is full of hebel, nothingless, meaningless, something that's fleeting, something deceptive, something that's going to go away. And he went on his journey to try to find the two questions that we're trying to answer going through this book. What is profitable? What is it that we can get in return for the work that we put out on this earth? And what is the good? What is that thing that's best for us to put our actions and our activities into? These are the two questions that he's trying to answer. What is profitable and what is good? And he's putting all of this under the heading that everything is meaningless. Everything is vain. Everything is, is, a, is a cloud, is a mist, something that's just fleeting away. And he gave us a couple of reasons why he concluded that everything is vanity. One, he said that all life is full of work. That don't seem to go anywhere. Like the sun go up. Sun go back down. The oceans get filled by the rivers. But they never overflow. And the water from the oceans go back to the rivers. Just to run back into the oceans again. It's like this is this cycle. The wind blows in one direction. Just to turn around and blow it in that same direction again. It's like everything is full of work. But it don't seem to go anywhere. Like that makes life vain. Then he added. Not only is it full of work that don't seem to go anywhere. We're unconscious that we're repeating the same thing that had already gone before. Like that which is being is that which shall be. And that which shall be is that which is. So there's this unconscious cycle that we don't remember, we don't recognize that we're repeating everything that everybody else already done. So we keep working and it don't seem to go anywhere. We're repeating the same work that already been done. Then he added, whatever we do, somebody already did. So we can't get no significance from that. Then he added this other element. We got this continuous cycle that we unconscious of, that we're repeating the same thing. Then at some point, it's just going to get interrupted with death. And death don't discriminate. So you're going to work, 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 and try your best to be better than everybody else, but you're going to die just like everybody else. That you and your dog going to die together. No matter how great of a work you've done. It's like these are the reasons life is meaningless. Then he added one more reason that we ran into last week. This idea of time. And by time, he means a season or, or a setup for everything. And he's saying everything has a specific time, a specific season that God has ordained that we have no control over. And so you cannot just go and run headlong and fill your life with whatever you want to because things are only beautiful in their own time. Even things that bring joy has a purpose and they have a time for it that you're supposed to enjoy. And even with that, life is full of this cycle of time where everything has a season. 
And each season swings back and forth. That each summer is going to be followed by a winter. And you have no control over it. So no matter how much you enjoy summer, you can try as bad as you want to. You just can't fill your life up with summer. The winter going to come. And no matter how much you enjoy the winter, you just can't sit there and be cozy in the winter. The summer going to come. And you have no control of it. But the only way places that these things are beautiful is in their own time. And so we can't control how we enjoy what we enjoy. The enjoyment is dictated by the time. It's like these are the reasons life are vain. Our life is vain. Unconscious cycle. They're going to be interrupted by death. And you got these things that have a season that rotates and alternates and you can't control them. So it's conclusions. He made a couple of things so far that we got. He's like, well, we found a couple of things are the only good. So since your life going to be filled with evil and good and you can't control it, you need to figure out how to work in this conscious cycle and recognize the good in what you do and enjoy that. Like that's the only good you got. Just to be in this cycle, do something good, recognize the good in that, and enjoy it. But he told us, that's come from the gift of God. Uh, that is the gift of God. And the only way you can truly enjoy that is if God gives you the ability to enjoy it. So you get some from your work, you enjoy it, but you can only get that from God. And that's all the good that we got so far. So far. And now we meet him and he's continuing to go back. He's in this cycle of repeating. Oh, and got this last couple of little things. We're going to tie back that we ended on. Since the only thing you can do is work and try to figure out how to enjoy your work. And that only comes from God. We got a couple of things when he started his repeating cycle. He said, I look at the place of justice. So the place that's supposed to take up for people. The place that's supposed to make sure everything is done right. So when I saw that, I saw wickedness. Then I looked at the place of righteousness. Probably is a, a, a reference to the church or the, the temple or the priesthood. It's like when I looked over there, I saw wickedness. I sin. So these are the places that are supposed to show me the good, show me the right, and they're only filled with evil. These are the places that are supposed to make sure good is getting done, and they're filled with wickedness. And that's the that's he's in the middle of that thought going on right now. So these are a couple of things he looked over. We're going to tie that back in and how it match up. But here in verse 4, I mean chapter 4 verse 1 says, So I returned. So I went back. He's repeating over all the things that he did and, and, and thinking about them again. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. So this is something he went back. So he's going back over everything he'd done. He recognized in the place of justice, wickedness is there. In the place of righteousness, iniquity is there. And now he see, looking over all these things, this is one constant thing he see. And that's some oppressed people. It's like, and in the middle of their oppression, they're crying, say they have tears, but there is no comforter. And on the side of the oppressor is power, but they have no comforter. And he's painting a picture here. That is some people who are less than, are being treated as less than in, in society. They're crying out. They want to be delivered, but there's nobody there to help them. And this is a reality of life. And I understand, I want you to get the picture is, we get life in this raw in this book, and he's painting the picture. Just think about your own life. How many of you felt like this before? Just take a light example. 
I get to do all the work. Supervisor, manager, owner make all the money. And not only do they make all the money, they make all of the decisions and just expect me to do it and don't ask me nothing. Anybody ever thought anything like that before? Like they just make all the decisions. We want that got to do this. Why they won't talk to us? You know why they won't talk to you? They don't have to. They make all of the decisions. And that's a, a light form. But the idea what he's saying is this is the state of the world. That when you look across, there's oppression done under the sun. It's done on earth. This is what goes on. Everywhere you go, you'll look complain about your boss looking over you. It's a small, minute example. There's people who do not have an option to do anything but work sun up to sundown and make $2 a day. That's all they can do. And if they try to do anything other than that, they will not eat. Because those are the only options that they have. That is oppression. And they have no comforter. There's nobody to come alongside them to support them. When we walk around with our nice Nikes on. And we enjoy them. And we stumping our feet marching for freedom. The people who put their rubber under our feet. Don't have nobody marching with them. They working, sweating, thumbs and fingers so. Just to eat every day. This is the oppression that's done under the sun. And there is no comfort. And he said, when I keep looking around, I realize that on the side of the oppressor, there is power. But the people still have no comfort. So not only are they being depressed and nobody can come alongside of them, the people above them doing oppression, they have all the power. And what he's telling us is this is not unique. This is not some special. It's a shock to our system. But you quote unquote black men of America. You're not unique. Everybody on this planet, every society has an oppressed group of people. Everybody on this planet, every society has a group of people who want something to be different. They're being mistreated. They're being ostracized, disenfranchised, whatever words you want to use. And they have no help. They have no comfort. This, this is not a unique thing. People are being cut off. People are being separated. And he's like, this is the condition under the sun. Just let that sit for a minute. You know, he was talking about it. You know, we, we do these things, you know what I'm saying? We recognize the little, 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 the spots of good that we have in our life. And sometimes we meet somebody, I mean, we recognize the rough time we have in our life. And sometimes we meet somebody who in a worse condition than us. And we'd be like, oh, man, oh, thank God I hate that I would complain. And what he's saying here is the whole world is filled with people who are worse than you. Because oppression is the state that we're living in. And let's just track this back and take this moment right here. Because he told us the only good we got so far is you can work, get a little something from it, and hope that God give you the ability to enjoy it. But if you can work and get a little something from it, and there's in the place of justice, as he talked about at the end of chapter 3, wicked people, can you truly get something from it? What hope do you have? Because if you work and they take it, you look in the place of justice, there's wickedness. What, what hope you got? Because on the side of the press, there is no comfort. 
And he painted this picture and he's going back and they're like, I thought I saw something good. That we can get joy, you can work and you can get it, and this is the gift of God. But it's also possible for you to work and you can get some out your work and somebody come to take it and ain't nothing you can say about it. It's also possible for you to work and think that you're doing right and you look to somebody who's showing you the right way and you realize that they just as foul and wicked as the worst thing that you ever seen. But you revered them. And it messed your whole world up. And what he's saying, understand that this is life. It's just right here in our own region. Just, just imagine. Around the street, people are going to this church, listening to this man preach. Then they get exposed. Their brother got full-blown AIDS. And he passing it around like candy. Supposed to be the man of God. Supposed to be leading these people. Just imagine the, the mindset of people sitting under that. And look up to this guy. And respect him. Then have this exposed. You know what that do to people, man? Especially the people who work and they're trying to make it and they're trying to do right and they sacrifice it and life is hard and they're getting up and they're getting down and they're trying to get this thing right. To hit and see like the person who I thought was doing it right was doing it all the way wrong. So is there any hope for me to do it right? That's the picture that he's painting here. And it puts life in a whole nother perspective and I want you to get that and let it sting. That life ain't gonna always work out the way that it seems like it's supposed to. That just because you're in a state where you're walking in righteousness and you're doing right, that don't mean people ain't going to mistreat you. That don't mean people ain't going to try to take advantage of you. That don't mean just everything in the road is going to be smooth. This is life. Oppression is done under the sun. And the question that we need to ask her is how do we deal with it? Because this is the state of our existence. And he's going to keep going on. In verse 2. And this is his conclusion, how he dealt with it. The conclusion that he got. He said, wherefore, for the reason that we just said, justice, wickedness, place of righteousness, full of sin, oppression, everywhere, and can't nobody do nothing about it. Verse 2, wherefore, I praise the dead what y'all already did more than the living what y'all yet alive. So his conclusion is, it's better to be dead than to be living on this earth. Like, them dead folk got it better. Why? In verse 3. Yea, better is he than both they, which have not yet been, who have not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Like they ain't have to endure this stuff that we got to go through. So they better off. This is his conclusion. Same thing Job lamented. Going through his rough times, thing got bad Job said, I wish I wasn't born. I wish his life would have stopped before I got out the womb. That that ended it. And that's what he's saying here. I'm looking out, seeing all this oppression, seeing all this hardship. I realize it's better to be dead. But notice how he said, better than both of them. The dead is better than both of them. Who is the both? The oppressor and the oppressed. So there's something that he recognized that being the oppressor and having the power over people don't put you in a good place. Just as being the one being oppressed don't put you in a good place. Why don't being the oppressor put you in a good place? Well, last week he told us that everything we do under this sun and how we try to enjoy this life, we're going to have to answer for it. God going to require everything done under the sun. So the oppressor that oppressing the people, God going to require that. 
And the people that are being repressed, if the only thing that I can get joy out of is trying to figure out how to get some from my work and, and, and see good in that, but everything I get, somebody take. Like, hold on, how did, they don't got no joy either. So life don't seem to have no hope for either one of them. And he goes on in verse 4. And he go back and he considering again. So again, I consider all the travail and every right work that for this man is envied of his neighbor. This also is vanity and vexation of spirits. He's going back. He's repeating. Because he told us the only good thing for us to do is to work. Get some from our work and try to enjoy it. You can work, get some from your work and people can take it away from you. Like that ain't, that ain't good. That's vain. And now here he adds, you can work, get some from your work, be good in your work, and it caused people to hate you. Just think about that for a moment. You can work and you can do everything right. Like for every right work. That means for every work done with skill that produces some good, that you get a product, you do it the right way. Like for this, for this right work, a man is envied of his neighbor. So it's possible for you to do good, live good, be good, and people hate you for it. It's like this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Because why would you hate me for doing right? But this is life. And what he's putting us in the mindset of understanding life. Don't be shocked and surprised if you find out, like, man, that dude did Can't stand him. Why? I just can't stand him. Like, hold on, what did he do anything to you? Nah, man, he always, he just, man, you, you know. <laughs> you know how he, and people be like that. And what he's saying is, this is life and this is vanity. Why do the people who work and do right and do good, are they hated? Just think about it. I like, I like to use light examples. New England Patriots. Them brothers work hard. They practice. They got their system together. You know what they do? Win. You know what they get? People want them to lose. Why? Because they win so much. And that's, that's, a lot of times that's the only reason they folks who don't even know nothing about football. Who playing? I hope they lose. Why? Cause they always winning. Like you do things right and you do what you're supposed to do and the outcome is people hate you. People envy you. People look down on you. And this story always stick in my mind. And Billy Graham was telling the story. It's like one guy, time a guy invited him out to go golfing and just a little casual dude friend he knew so he went out on the golfing trip He's like out on the golfing trip there was this third guy with him and the whole trip dude was upset like anybody he didn't really say nothing but you, everybody can tell it was tension and he was mad and so the guy that, that invited Billy out asked him like like what was going on and he was mad that it was Billy Graham. That was it. And the fact that this dude lived his life and he walk around and he preaching and he tried to be right, that made the other dude upset he didn't want to be around him. That was the only reason they had. He hated. Billy ain't preach. For according to the dude, Billy ain't say nothing about Jesus or God. He just played golf. 
But Buddy was upset because of who he was and what he stood for. That created envy in his heart. And what Kohelet is telling her, is, this is a place of life. And this is something you need to come to grips with. That it's possible for you to do everything right, for you to do good and succeed and make it, and people hate you. Yes, it is. But that intimidation produced envy. Envy is just a strong desire towards you, a strong passion against you. And that it's an amazing thing that sometimes some people intimidate people. And how do they intimidate? Just by being good. It's going to be people in your life, they don't like you. Like I said, Mr. Curry in the back, he can be mad. Like I said, everything going good, man. Me and my wife got together. And you guarantee you're going to be some people that he tell that story to. That a man, is he, that joke, he fake. <laughs> he, he ain't real. <laughs> he just putting on because I know. How you know? Because people, people just can't be happy. Like, so it's impossible for that man to love his wife and them to get along? No, Carl. It just ain't like that. <laughs> and now he can be living and doing his thing and people turn their back on him and everything. I mean, he'll never be conscious of it. And all it is is because him and his wife smile. Because when they show up to the Bible study and the, and the husband talking, he's like, man, see, we, we got this struggle. I mean, we, we doing it, but it's good though. And he say, man, we ain't got them problems. Everything good. We get along. We enjoy one another. You know I actually look forward to going home. <laughs> oh, he fake. See, that what's wrong with church folk now. They don't want to be real. They always. And all it is is you can do well, you can do right, you can do good, and people still gonna hate you. And then he add a little extra here to make it a little worse. It don't seem like it connect, but it goes with this same line of thought in verse five. Oh, I skipped verse four. Saying again, I consider all travail in every right work, for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Verse five, the fool folded his hands together and eated his own flesh. Let's think about that. The fool folded his hand together and eat his own flesh. What picture you get in your mind when you read that? That's exactly what he's saying. Work is everywhere. And work is always being done. But the foolish man don't do nothing. And because of his lack to, of doing anything, he destroys himself. But who does he hate? You. That's the picture that he painted. The fool folded his hand and consumes his own flesh. The foolish man ain't going to work. He ain't going to do what he have to do. But who he going to hate? You. The person who working. The person who doing what they got to do. And it's this sense of, 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 of obligation that comes through this picture of oppression and this cycle of work that stuff's supposed to be. I know I, it's some things I, it's supposed to have. And it's a work I'm supposed to enjoy and I want to enjoy, but you got it. Why do you got it? Like, bro, I've been getting it. See, see, I'm seeing that man. See, Aaron, that, that joke. See, he, 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 he ain't real for real either. Because he out there working himself to death. 
and just driving. He ain't got it like that. He just putting on. Like, why are you mad, bro? You have two dollars too. If you go work for it. Like, but the fool refused to work and destroy his own stuff. He's standing there with his hand fold. But who does he envy? The working man. The fool. Stand up, put up signs, and take over a city. And be mad because somebody invented something and made billions of dollars off of it. You don't supposed to get paid for your hard work and your invention. You need to pay us for not working and not inventing anything. The makers of Fortnite need to play the players of Fortnite and make everything equal. (laughs) Oh, brother. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We producing, you playing, we deserve to get paid. Players don't get paid unless they're producing. But the fool fold his hand and he gonna hate you. And he's saying, this is the work of a done under the sun. And he putting us in this picture that we thought we had some hope. You work hard. You do what you gotta do. You gonna get some out of your work and God gonna give you the ability to enjoy it. But you can do that and somebody can come along and take it and you can go and look for justice and ain't nobody gonna help you. You can do that and be struggling and look for hope in the place of righteousness, but all you're going to find is iniquity and ain't nobody going to be able to show you the way. You can do that and people are going to oppress you and mistreat you and ain't going to be nobody around to help you and they're going to have all the power and you ain't going to have none. You can do that and make it and get above the oppression and get beyond the, the, the shackles that people have placed upon you. And the folks around you, they're going to hate you. Why? Just because you did good. And they're going to fold their hands and they ain't going to do nothing but dislike you. He's saying, this is life under the sun. And by a show of hands, you can raise your hand out loud. How many of us has experienced this? This cycle. Well, you think we're going good and you thought it was good. Then stuff flip and it's just bad all of a sudden. You be like, man, what I did? Have I did anything wrong? Like, man, I need to pay my tithes or something. <laughs> and it gonna go bad. Or you doing good and you making it and the people just don't like you. Like I gotta have time. Folk come to me like, man, when I first met you, I ain't like you. Like, man, why? I just didn't, but I realized you alright though. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thank you. <laughs> you know, glad you ain't let me know you ain't like me at the beginning, man, because I ain't even know it. <laughs> I thought we were cool. Right, but this is life, and he go on. And he gonna get a little bit from it. Tell us this good, because we try to figure out what is good and what is the true profit. In verse six, it said better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. So it's better. To get a handful, to get a little bit, and have rest, that's quietness, to have peace. Then to get a whole lot and have war, turmoil going on around you. Like it's better just to get a little bit and enjoy that and have peace with that than have both of your hands full with travail, with vexation, with, 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 with exhaustion, and, and just stressing yourself out. And this is something, especially for us men folk, that, that's hard to understand. Because we didn't been presented a picture, us who who had some daddies and some folks around us to show us the way that you got to get out there, you got to grind, you got to get it, and you got to provide for your family. And we do that to the exhaustion of the point that we can't enjoy our family. I remember when I was flying for a school. They put my um 
my daughter in school and sitting down talking with this guy and he's, he's realized what we're working. He's like, oh man, yeah, it's like I've been out there before. It's like they have a lot of old time out there, don't they? Like, yeah, they do. Like, yeah, 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 I see, 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 you make good money out of it. It's like, but I ain't really with it right now, man. My, my, my children young and I prefer to be a daddy than to be rich. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why. And his brother just opened up all of a sudden. Like, yeah, cause when I was young, man, I was a young lawyer and I, I spent all my hours in the office. And I was just working and I did this and in cases and legal and I just loaded myself on. The next thing I know, my ch- children were 15, 16 years old and they were going off to college and they were doing this and I missed it. It's like, and I must be honest, I really regret that. Did we do good? Yes, we made a lot of money. The provider, we got to make good, gave a good place for them. But I missed it. And so what he had was both hands full, but it was full of travail, full of stress, exhaustion. He spent all his hours at work. And it wasn't for no season. This was he, this the lifestyle of his kids. It's like he couldn't enjoy it. Mama, children go on vacation. They relax. They enjoy, but you you working. Like he said, it's better to have a handful with peace, with quietness, with rest. Then they have both of your hands full, full of travail and vexation of spirit. So it's better to be, be willing to pull back and sacrifice for something greater. And for here, he gives the picture of something greater is peace. To be able to enjoy life. Like if, if you can have peace, especially I have men and fathers in, in mind when I think of this. If you can truly enjoy home, build home and have a resting place in home. That's worth far more than the accumulation of wealth that you can gain. Because one of the things we already learned from the last book, we ain't we're supposed to labor to do what anyway? To be rich. And so the whole purpose, and just think about that. You, you just help me out on that, bro. If I'm not supposed to work to be rich, do you think God would condone me sacrificing my family to be rich? Like He don't want you sacrificing your whole effort in life just solely for the purpose of being rich. Do you think he wants you sacrificing your family, the good, the benefit, the quality time of raising and discipling your children? Just to cap, just to get a couple of dollars. When I got two, I can get four. But I ain't gonna be able to be that with you. I ain't gonna be able to teach you nothing. I'm gonna have to trust that that man at that school gonna teach you. That dude who don't know you, don't know me. And don't know nothing about God in our life. I'm going to have to trust him to do it. And I'm going to be shocked when you show up 16 and you can't write your name in a complete sentence. When I realize you don't know how to do basic math and people cheat you on the street because you can't add and subtract. Because I've been grinding and getting it and just sending you off and pawning you off to these other folks who took over and told you that I'm supposed to let them raise you. And my only job is to show up and make sure you're doing what they want you to do. And to beat you at home when you disobey them. That ain't the way life's supposed to work. We are responsible for our own youth. And we are responsible for raising our own family. And we live in this world and this system where it's been set up and we got this, this socialized education that can be beneficial. But do we depend on that? No. If my child can't read, who fault it is? Mine. I don't care how many tax dollars I done paid. I don't care how much the school done earned off me and my taxes. 
It's my fault if my child can't read. If my child can't add, you know who fault that is? Mine. Now, now one of us should ever go to a school and go off on a teacher for letting up, not letting us know why our child was struggling. You should know that. You, you should know that. And you'd be like, I ain't know. She know how to read just how she can repeat back out the door to explore. Don't mean she know how to read. It ain't the same thing. It's just how they can repeat the words on the page. Don't mean they know how to read. You should be able to have conversations to dialogue to make sure they understand what it is and not be willing to sacrifice grind it and getting it have that peace and quiet at home. Now, one thing you get that, that's work. That's work. And it's easy to go punch somebody clock than it is to sit there and ain't getting nothing out of it and then go round and round with a seven-year-old. And they try and tell you they know and they're getting all the answers wrong. <laughs> I got it. I know how to do it. Now, you know you do not. That's why we've been on the same problem for 30 minutes. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to stay that long on that. <laughs> Verse 7 said, Then I returned. And I saw vanity under the sun. So we went back. It's like I said, he's recycling, going back through all his works. And he saw vanity under the sun. This is the vanity in verse 8. There is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither said he, for whom do I labor? And bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. So he's going back and he told us the only thing we can get out of life Get somebody your work and enjoy it. And he's saying it's better to have a little bit with some quietness, some rest, and some peace than to have a whole lot with travail going on. But he's added to that. Like looking back, I recognize something. You just get the picture of somebody going back through all of the activities of their life and he zone in on this one particular person. It's like I see somebody. They won. There is no second. So he got the picture of somebody who all they have is themselves. Ain't nobody with them. Like, this is vanity. For you to be working, working hard, grinding, getting it, and all you got is you. It's like, these people keep doing the same work as everybody else doing, and they're working just as hard as everybody else. And they never take a moment to stop and say, for whom do I do all this labor? Like, what, what you working so hard for? Like, what is the end goal? Why are you getting it like that? And it's like, this is vanity. That you can have two together working and one by themselves and they have to work just as much as the two together and their work is not alleviated. It's like, this crazy. Then he goes on. In verse 9, he said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So he's giving us one of these good that's in, in life. All right, two are better than one. So it's good to be with somebody than to be by yourself. Why? Because they have a reward. There's an outcome. They get something out of their labor. What is they, what do they get? In verse 10, it says, For if they fall or fail, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls. For he hath not another to help him up. Like, so if you got two and you got somebody with you, if you slip, if things go bad, if them seasons switch on you, if you got somebody with you, they can lift you up. But if all you got is just you on your own, solitary, lone wolf, when you fall, that's the end. And he's saying, so that, for that reason, he's saying it's better. 
to have somebody with you, to be in fellowship with somebody, to, to be in union with somebody. Now, I'll just throw this as a, as a side point. When we read this, how many of y'all, you can, you can raise your hand out loud, mine automatically go to marriage? Just one or two. That's, that's where our minds automatically go. That might be married and that better than being single. But what did he say to make you think that? That's it. <laughs> so is it possible for the two to be two brothers that rely on each other? That all I got, me and my little bro. And we grinding and we getting it. And if things go bad with me, he read in the picture with me. That's better than just me by myself. By two, he does not classify what he means by two. All he defines is that it needs to be some type of union and fellowship. Huh? Yeah, that's the only way two can walk together. There's somebody who with you in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. And this takes us back once again to Genesis. When God looked out over his creation and he saw a solitary man, he said what? It's not good. And here he's picking up on that same thing. The same word that God used when he said it's not good. Here is the same word that he used that's translated better. Saying it is good for a man to be with two. So he's saying the same thing God said in Genesis chapter 3. And he's putting this idea of unity there that it's best for us to be in community. And if we put this and expand this picture out, how does this work with our lifestyle as a whole? The idea of the lone wolf Christian is a bad one. It's not biblical. Because when you were born again, we were born into a what? A family, the household of God. And that should be one place that you should always have a second. That you should always have somebody who can pick you up when you fall. That you should never be alone. But we have to cultivate this and understand that two is better than one. And it's better for us to be in unity and community than it is for us to be out there solitary lone wolf. Because if you fall, the other one can lift you up. And we can't let this be defined or just Allow, because it's just our world and our society that just restrict this idea to marriage. Like, man, ain't no good. Why? Because I ain't got no spouse. That's a lie. If you got family, if you got fellowship, if you got unity, you got family. You got this fellowship. You got somebody that can lift you up. And gonna keep going. In verse 9, I mean 10, 11 rather, say again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm if they're alone? And just the idea of the mutual benefit of being with somebody and sharing life with somebody. Like I said, as far as we know in this timing, there wasn't no um, central air and heat. So especially you think about out in the desert, it get real cold in the desert at night, y'all. It, it get very cold. I'm talking about it go from being 110 in the day to 45, 50 at night. It's like, how in the world does that work? 
But it, it do that. That's why God had to be a pillar of fire by night for the children of Israel when they were going through the wilderness. I'm joking with the froze to death out there. And what he's saying is, if you lay in that freezing, you know it better to be with somebody. Go ahead. Yeah, it, but I, I agree with you. And I think you, you're reading into it. He ain't saying anybody. Because the, the two got to be somebody who going to help you when you fall. They got to be somebody who you're sharing mutually with. And that's the picture that he's giving here. Is that when you fall, they there to pick you up. When you cold, they there to make you warm. So with somebody who's mutually getting in and sharing life with you, that's the two. Not somebody who's taking advantage of you. Could that take us back to verse one of the oppressor? <laughs> yeah, because that person wouldn't be with you. That would be the oppressor. And what you see the the, the, the contrasting pictures here in the beginning and in the end. So in the beginning, you got people together, but this person taking advantage of you. They got power over you. They wielding over you, and they're taking what you got. And this one, in the end, this person is with you. You fall, they're there for you. You cold, they're there to make you warm. So there's this mutual picture. It's not just any old body. Like, hey, I got to have somebody with me, so come along, because I don't want to be by myself. Nah, that ain't what he's saying. It's two together, that we're in this unit together. We're bound together, and we're doing life together. That we're sharing in one. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an American understanding of intimate one. If you understand what I'm saying. Like I said, it can be a sister. It can be a friend. Somebody who can see a need in you that you can share a need with. And when you don't have the resources to fulfill the need yourself, they're there to help you. Now, it's, it's an example. It's just like the example of the other one. He's given two examples. When you fall, they there to pick you up. When you lie down and you cold, two together can make you warm. And it's the idea of you have a need. You have a, a, a insufficiency in yourself to meet something. And they're there with you. And them being with you can overcome the one sufficiency you got for yourself. It was not necessarily lie down like we, like I said, American lay down. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, that's the picture that he's sharing here, that you got an insufficiency. And it's something you can't pull off on your own. It better if you got somebody that can help you with <laughs> That's what he got. And like I said, we, we, our Americanized, we, we over-sexualize. So when we hear the word lie down together, it, we just, it just go down. You know, it, 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 that's just what that word means. <laughs> I take out some of the trauma of my youth. <laughs> that stuff, dad, my dad said, what? <laughs> I go, dad, you don't need nothing like that. Yeah, but that's what he's talking about. And I just, and, it, and I like that you brought that up. And it's not just having anybody around just to say I got somebody. Like, man, I, I, it, it better, I need to have somebody because I can't be by myself. No, it's, it's somebody who you share life with and they share life with you. And like I say, he don't come restrict the relationship. This can be a mother and child. We're doing life together. And she's there with me. So when you get old and can't make it for yourself, if you did it right, you got somebody 
that's going to be there for you, that's going to take care of you, that's going to bring you up and make sure you got what you need. Why? Because you got a, a child that's, that you've been sharing life with this whole time. It could be, like I said, just a mutual friend. Like, all This is all we got. We each other. And we look out for each other. We make sure one another good so that we won't ever be that person on that commercial. I fall in and I can't get up. Y'all understand? That that's that's the that this this is the way life was meant to be done. It's the picture of the saying. This is the good. I read the story about it. Got not heard. Somebody was telling the story, and it just made me think about it. This guy won a, a this Pulitzer Prize, I think it was, for a photo that he took, and it's a picture of a little starving baby. You seen it before? Okay, I heard somebody telling the story. A little a little starving child. Who's walking and trying to go either to a well or to a place to get something to eat, but they're, they're so anemic and so starved, their body is too heavy for their legs and the little child fall over. And in the background is a vulture standing. Just, just standing there looking towards the child. And this guy took, he snapped the picture. And the amazing thing is, he waited. And he was looking for the absolute right moment to snap the picture. Just put yourself in the, in, the, in the mind of this man. This is real life. He's seeing a child struggling, about to die. And his mindset is, I'm going to wait for the perfect time. The vulture lands, the child falls. This is it. Life cycle. One life goes away and another one is ready to feast on it. And he snapped the picture. And this man traveled to World War and all type of prize just for this one little picture. But later he ended up killing himself. Because he sat there and watched a baby die for a picture. Trying to come up, trying to get rich, trying to get famous. Because he got more famous than rich. And he was willing to watch a baby die. To take a picture. And I just imagine that the reality of that situation hit him as the time went on. I don't care how cold you is. We, we all still human beings. And all that he got out of it was the hype, the feel, the reputation to be known. But he went home alone and, and the reality of what he done hunted him to the point where he died and killed himself. Because life ain't meant to be lived like that. We're not meant to be the oppressor, to take advantage of people, to get over on people, and to utilize people for our own good and our own benefit. Life is meant, and the good in life is for us to get together, to live together, to go to, to cultivate life in one another, to support one another. This is the way we were designed to good, to live. This is the good. And if we can't do that for one another, we are useless. If we can't support one another, we can't be there for one another. If we can't fill up the, the deficiencies of one another, we have no use in life. Because this is one of the only goods. So as crazy as the world is, all the oppression that's going on, all of the lack that's going on, all of the futility, it should not be here. Why? Because we should have one another to hold each other, to support one another, to be there to fill up the insufficiencies of one another. This is the way God designed life to be lived. It's not good for man to be alone. I ain't just talking about marriage, period. And that's why God gave him a help. 
And we should be that help for one another. That's the way life was designed to live. Let's keep going. In verse 12, he keep giving another one more example. Say, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. So if you got the solitary man, if somebody come and overtake him, it's easier for two people to fight off an attacker than it is for one person to fight him off. It's basically what he's saying. So if you got somebody with you, you have a better chance of overtaking the attacker than you is when you by yourself. And he ends with that picture of a threefold cord that's not easily broken. Our church folks and spiritualize that threefold cord. See, that's you, your wife, and God. You can take it that way. But all he's using is an example of if you got one string, it's going to be weak. But if you can bind three together, it's going to be stronger than just that one. And it's the picture of life. If you just by yourself, you're going to be weak. But if you can bind and unite with other people, you're going to be stronger than just yourself. And this is life. And he's saying is this is one of the goods in life. One of the only goods that he's been able to find. That people being together, that's good. Then he goes on. And give us one more good. In 13, he said, better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. Who will no more be at minus. So you got two different people. An old and wise king who can't nobody tell him nothing. And a poor and wise child. And he give him complete opposite. One's fool, one wise. One's a king, one poor. One old, one a child. Like both ends of the spectrum. He stretched them all the way out. Like it better to be the young, wise, poor person than the old foolish king that can't nobody tell you nothing. And he goes in 14. He said, for out of prison he cometh to reign. Whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. And he's giving this picture. And I can't read this without thinking about Joseph. You got the young, wise, poor person. He has no rights. He has no response. I mean, no privileges in the kingdom. He's poor. But what he does has is wisdom. And he can come from a place of bondage and make his way up being young, wise, and poor. Just like Joseph did. Brother ain't had no reason to be nothing. He was a foreigner. He was a stranger. And he was locked up. He was a felon. On death row for rape. <laughs> had no hope (laughs) and you have the the, the king the ruler and he's saying there's some who born in their kingdom they come out and they're born into the thing that they have reign and rulership over while other ones rise from the bottom one born in a place of prestige and end up poor one born in a place of bondage and suppression and can make it to the place of top what separates the two one is a fool and one is wise it's better to be the poor wise one because you can come up than to be the the rich foolish one because you're going to go down. That's basically what he's saying. And he goes on in 16. He said, there's no end of all the people. Oh, 15. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. This is a, a tricky one. So he's looking back. He's looking over all the people that's around. And they're walking along with the second or the, or the, or the, the one that's going to come after the king. So they see everybody and they're walking all along and they're with him. So the one that's going to come after is right along with all the rest of the midst of the people. Then he's saying, there is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that shall come after 
shall not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. So you got masses of people. In the midst of these masses is the one who's going to come and take the place of the king. But all of these masses are going on about their life. And he said, there's no remembrance of all that went before. Like this is a picture that had already happened before. And when he come and get in his place of rulership, he going to come to a place where the people are going to flip on him too. We see it, well, over the last couple of decades, every eight years. We get a guy, he get in, he cool. Then two years after that, we hate him. He's the worst person that ever lived. He's the Antichrist and finna end the whole world. So we kick him out and we bring another one in. Celebrate, inauguration, everything go fine. Then after a couple of years, we hate him. He's the Antichrist. He's the end of the world. We don't know nothing else to do with him. And then we bring another guy in. Now the last guy, after a month, <laughs> we hate him. He the Antichrist. He finna destroy the whole world. And it's just this cycle that keeps going on and on. We keep trade. In my lifetime, we we just been trade. We jumping from Republican to a Democrat. To a Republican, back to a Democrat. And it's just been this cycle back and forth. And we all up end up hating all of them. And that was the picture that he's saying. Look at the masses. They just going on about their life. And the one that's going to come up to rule over them is right there in the midst of them. He with them. But as soon as he gets to that place, they're going to forget all of that and they're going to hate him. He's going to be just the devil as the person who up there now. And it's this cycle that go on and on. This is vanity and vexation of spirit. Huh? <laughs> Why we need to vote, we'll talk about that. <laughs> It was basically what he said. You need to do better with your book. <laughs> In verse five, uh, chapter five, we run through these last little couple. Say, keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of food for they consider not that they do evil. Now this seems to be a switch. Like, hold on now. How you just start talking about church all the stuff? So keep your foot. I mean, guard, watch out, preserve your foot when you go into the house of God and be more ready. So be in a position where you anticipating hearing then giving the sacrifice of food. Now what is the sacrifice of food? Anybody know what that is? Uh-huh. That's a form of it. All of that above. Like I said, we learned in Proverbs he said, God take the light in the prayer of the righteous, but he holds the sacrifice of the wicked in abomination. Well, he contrasts sacrifice and prayer together. So sacrifice of a fool is a vain or useless prayer. When you just run in your mouth. It's like, so be ready, more ready to hear when you go to the house of God. Guard your foot. Watch out. Be on guard when you go to the house of God and be more ready to listen. Now that's just deep in, in and of itself. You let that sit there. So when you go to the house of God, and here he's talking about the temple, well, they weren't necessarily coming how we coming. A lot of them, they go in to make prayers, and they go in to make supplications, and, and to get things from God. Like, But when you go, be ready to listen. And we need to adopt that in our own lifestyle. When you run into the place of prayer, when you run in to be with God, be more ready to listen than you are to talk. Then he go on and said, at the end of that, said, for they consider not that they do evil. So the fools do evil when they bring in their sacrifice. Why in verse 2? 
he go on, said, be not rash with thy mouth and let not thy heart be hasty to other anything before God. So don't be in a hurry with your mouth. Don't, don't be quick or hasteful. Don't be rude with your speech. And don't let your heart hastily utter anything or any words before God. Guard your foot. Watch out. Be more ready to listen. Don't be rude or rash or rough with your mouth. And don't let your heart be in a hurry to say anything to God. That's a deep saying. And he go on and explain. He said, for God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. It's like because of the position that you're in, God is above you. God is greater than you. He's in a position that exceeds you. So don't be so quick to start running your mouth off at God. That, that seemed to be a bit deep. Like be, just, just watch it. Don't be so quick to, and so casual to just start running your mouth at that God because of where he is in the position. And he go on a little bit deeper. In verse 3, Said, For a dream coming through multitude of business and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. And he keep amping this thing up. That don't seem like it matches with what he's talking about, do it? Don't be hurried up to speak. Why? Because a dream comes through multitude of vision. What is a dream? Anybody know what a dream is? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. What are you talking about dreams? Dreams is just how we understand dreams. That little stuff that go on in your mind at night uh, when you just sitting down and you got pictures and thoughts and ideas running through your head. That's what exactly what he's talking about. So dreams, he said, come through a multitude of business. Now, I help you understand because you understand it better than you know. How many of y'all were caught up a couple years ago? Y'all know I'm late. I don't know what's hot now. With Candy Crush, what's the thing? And you get caught up playing Candy Crush or words with friends. Then you fail to sleep and you see little jellies or whatnot in your, in your dream. And you, you just be seeing that little stuff and you, uh, you close your eyes and you might see it. You hear the little dings going on in, in your brain. You see little tablets. It's because you've been indulged in this so much and so many hours of the day you've been practicing it that it, it, it sticks in your mind and your mind's still working down that vein even though you sleep. And what he's saying is it's the activity of the flesh that produces dreams. So you can come up with all type of thoughts and all type of imagination just because of all the stuff that you're doing. Like I said, when I remember being young. When we didn't rush track and field until the Olympics came. But when the Olympics came, we sit there and watch it. Immediately, we go out in the backyard and we turn the little block in the hood because, you know, we got the apartment building and they got the sidewalk to connect all on so we end up making a perfect square, a rectangle. And we get down there and that's the track and we ready to go. Ain't ran a day in your life other than just running for folk because you tore up something trying to get away. But now we, all of a sudden, we call Lewis. Because we didn't engage in this. We let the gold down. Now we Dominique. When? In February. When the dunk contest going on. Now brother windmill and then double pumping. Saying you out there with your hoops on. And you pumping them up. Reebok make pumps. But you got <laughs> your hoops on and you pumping them. Just cause you see deep round do it. And it's the idea of these dreams come through multitude of, of, of busyness of the flesh. So sometimes what we dream of in, in the ambitions of our heart, it comes from the activities of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's that part, that's what he's talking about. So the, the more activity you get into, the more that stuff brain in your brain. Like some of you didn't even have dreams. Well, well, check it was in your dream. And that's because you didn't sit there and watch that movie all day. <laughs> 
Uh, you see your dreams, they, they, they're composite of all the different stuff that you did that day. Yeah, and, and it could. And that's the activity, that's what you get into. That's what I don't know. And then he said, in, was in a, in fo- and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. So we know dreams come through the multitude of busyness of flesh. So the activity of your life can produce the dreams that are popping up in your mind. And we can recognize a fool by the multiplicity of words. So the more he talking, that's when we recognize a fool. Go ahead. A vision for God, our way God speak to you. Yeah, we know that can be true because we've seen it. But he's telling us that ain't all of them. So some dreams is because God spoke to you. Some dreams because you've been speaking to yourself. <laughs> yeah, and you have to recount them stuff. And recount them and, 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 and try to understand them. You do it through prayer. But giving you a picture that it don't always necessarily mean that this is a divine vision. It's personal activity. Because it may not even be watching activity. It's where your mind at. And stuff that you've been worried about. Stuff that you've been anxious about. You've been thinking about. Man, why I dream, I dream God spoke. No. You spoke to yourself. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the activity. And just, just to pull it in, I was going wait to pull it all together. If you go back with where he started, don't keep, keep your foot when you go to the house of God. Because don't be rash to speak with your mouth. It's possible for you to be amped up and you to be living this life and you got all your dreams and all your hopes and all your ambition and it just come because of the desires of your heart and become because of the stuff that's going on in your mind. And you coming with all this in, in, in your heart and in your mind and you go to the house of God. And God, if you, bring it to pass because I know and you and you making all these things back up and, and God ain't nowhere in it. It's just you. And it's, I think about it, it's something that uh we need to learn to do. Because God do speak with dreams, but it's one of the harder things we do. Like if God, if you believe God gave you a dream and he gave you a vision, he gave you something. One of the hardest things for us to do that we need to learn to do is sometimes take a step back. Just take a step back. Because it could be that you unconsciously wanted it so bad. It's just like, just take Aaron. Like Aaron got a dream and he saw that girl. In a dream. God spoke. That that my wife. It's over with. <laughs> he read. He should be willing. To. Step back. And let it sit. Because if God spoke it. Who can bring it to pass. Because if it's all just in his mind. What can happen is. He amps that thing up. He start going around. You know what I'm saying? He start calling. He start doing it. And all this is doing is increasing the thoughts. And it's, he confirming himself. Now, he might be praying, God, I'm looking for comfort. You giving it to you. Because you looking. You start changing the way you look at her. Like, okay, I like him this way, but yeah, oh, God, yeah, yeah, she is. <laughs> and all this going on, and it end up altering. And so he end up convincing himself because of the activities that he participating in. And it's a, a a good thing to keep your foot. Be willing to step back and do the opposite of what you dreamed up. And let God bring it to pass. 
Because you can cultivate something that he may not be in it. And it may be something unconscious. It could have been a thing where he just was on his way. He got his business. He put some gas in the lawnmower. And he saw an old girl pass by the gas station. She caught her eye. And he dressed in the back of his mind. That, yeah, she looked good. Such, such. Then he thought that he got to get right. But he don't remember that whole scene on that night when he went to sleep. And he's just thinking it's just straight out of the blue. That I ain't never seen her before. And it all came from him trying to get some gas. <laughs> Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, 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 God can make something out of nothing. <laughs> well, that's what he, that's what he has the ability to do. Yeah. And, and, and like I say, I, while I say yeah, cause it might be something that you just participate in that to mess your whole mind up, mess your whole life up. I mean, just, the whole thing you get out of it is, hey, you need to stop that. Yeah, so it's possible for you to get anything out of any of it. But the picture he's painting here is that the multitude. So you need to be careful. Go ahead. Yeah, man, he got God does. Yeah, and, and that's something you need to cultivate. Some people, God does speak to them in their dreams. I'm not one of them type of people. I be dreaming about absolutely nothing. <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> I dream about what rocks dream about. <laughs> Verse 4. Said, when thou vowest the vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools that fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. So when you vow a vow, it's coming off the dreams and the multitude of speech. So it's possible for you to get your life amped up and you get all these thoughts in your head and you run into the house of God and you making all these vows. Vows is a promise. One of them, if you do, I would do type prayer. Like, God, if you do, if you bring the path in them, it's like, when you vow a vow unto God, do, don't, not pay it. Make sure you pay the vow that you give. Said because he don't have any pleasure in fools. So pay what you got. So what is he depicting as a fool? Person who make a promise and open up their mouth and saying all this fly stuff to God, but they don't really mean. For the one who 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 crying at the altar, I give myself away, and they go home and beat their me. <laughs> I'm willing to do whatever you take, Lord Jesus, and you get that one little thought in your head. Trade your smartphone for a flip phone. Jesus, whatever you tell me, I'm willing to do it, Jesus. You get that little bit of thought. Trade your smartphone for a flip phone. Lord Jesus, whatever you say, I'm willing to go. Whatever you want me to do, Lord Jesus, that's what I'm willing to do no matter what. Then you don't hear nothing no more. Then you go home frustrated because you fail again. And you're like, God, don't speak to me. <laughs> you ain't willing to do what he wants you to do. And what he's saying is, if you don't, don't go make them promises to God. And if you do, pay it. Whatever you tell God you're going to do, if he do, you better do it. Then he's going to end this thing. In verse 5, said, better is it that thou shouldest not vow, and thou shouldest vow and not pay. So it's better than to say nothing than to say something and don't make good on it. So shut up if you ain't willing to make good on what you say. Verse 6 says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel or the messenger that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hand? Now that's a very deep verse. So you don't allow that. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Don't let your mouth get your body in trouble. Like, don't do that. So if you come and making vows to God and you making any devotion to God, hush your mouth and don't let your mouth get your body in trouble. And he said, 
and don't say to the angel that the angel is a, is a messenger that, hey, hey, I messed up. I ain't intend that. I don't, don't go doing that. If you said and you done vowed and you done promised it, you better make good on it. And it's like, why should God be angry at your voice? And I like this phrase because it could be translated. Why should God snap at your sound? Like God hear the sound of you and he snaps. Huh? He <laughs> basically said, why you don't want to put yourself in that position. And what's going to get you in that position is you keep making these vows and you keep making these promises and you keep giving yourself away, but you ain't gave nothing away. You keep, oh, you, I need you more than you, my everything. And I don't need nothing else but you. But you're chasing out of everything but him. And he's saying, why should God snap when he hear your voice? And it's the idea of the frustration with some people when they get in them real bad times and they make all these prayers and they make all these confessions and they go through all this stuff and they keep playing the dance with God. Things go bad. I'm saved as I want to be. I'm going to conferences and I'm buying books and I'm listening to CDs and DVDs. Then I get on a smooth street. Then I'm out there and I'm doing all my other stuff and doing my own thing until things go bad again. And then I'm getting there. But then you get to the one little point when you realize that I've been on this cycle and now you mad at God. Because God don't hear my prayers and God don't help me. Why should he listen to your prayer? Because the last ten times you prayed, you lied. How many times you going to listen to somebody who lied to you? If I keep telling that, man, hey, baby, beat up, pick you up, take you out to eat, we're going to have a good time. And he get up, he get dressed, and I don't ever show up. Then I'll be like, my bad last week, man. You really know I had a lot of things going on, things went a little crazy. But this week, same time, same place. I got you, man. It's all on me. Then he get up, he get dressed, and he don't hear from me. How many times you think Edmund going to be getting ready <laughs> to go somewhere with me if I do that? going to be a point where you shut him out, like, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't even want to hear that, bro. Like, we ain't even talking. Don't worry about it. And he's saying, why should God be that way with you? Because you're a liar. And he goes on and says, in verse 7, said, for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. And this is the ending of it. Like when the multitude of dreams, all these dreams and ambitions and all this stuff that come on in your mind and all the, the words that you speak, the promises that you're making and the prayers that you're praying, he's like, it's a whole bunch of vanity mixed up in that. Whole bunch of nothing. It's fleeting stuff that has no value. That's very deceptive. But you don't get caught up in all that. You fear God. And just think about this thing. If we go back to bring this to a close. What in the world did this whole little section have to do with what he was talking about? Because it seemed like he just took a detour. He just started talking about church. What is the only place that you can get that joy and rejoicing that he told you was the only good from? God. So if you let it sit and you let the whole thing of reflection that he's coming over, he's been going back over all the things. You need to get some out your work. But if you're dependent on people to be just for you to get it, you might not get it. You need to get some out your work. But if you're depending on the right example for other people to make sure you maintain and be able to see the good, you might not get it. You need to be able to enjoy your work and get some out of it. But if you're depending on everything to be smooth, you might not get it because some people are going to oppress you. Some people are going to mistreat you. And they might take what you have and nobody be around to help you. You need to get some good out your work. And that's the way God set it up. But it's possible for you to work and work hard and have nobody to share and enjoy what you got with. And God is the only one that can give it. And if you believe this, 
You're going to run to the place of God and who are you going to ask to help you? God. But the way our mind works, we don't believe that people are going to do something for us just because they love us. So when I call Aaron and I need a favor, what am I going to say? Like, hey, bro, can you come help me out? No saying, I, I, if you run, run into the store, I, well, this new generation, they don't think you got to do nothing. But when I brought up, like, hey, bro, take me to the store. I, I got $2. <laughs> we'll do with $2 man and it's, that's the way our mind works so if we know and understand that God can make this whole cycle of vanity and he can interject joy in the midst of this foolishness we want that we need that that's the only good so where do we go to God and he's saying but when you go to him don't come in there with all them promises and, and making all them things don't say God if you get me out of this one I'm a God if you help me through this situation I'm a God if you give me this job I'm a like, don't do that and if you do that, you better do whatever the armor is. But the best thing for you to do in the midst of all this foolishness, in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all that's going on, is don't be making promises to God, don't be making devotion to God, fear. You put your life in a posture where in the midst of everything, you fear God. And you watch the way you relate to him. And that's the crux, and this is the center of this whole book. That we need to fear God. Above any and every other thing. And, and a part of this fear ain't just making promises. So it ain't just religious activities that get us in this right place with God. So don't be heaping up. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. And like, nah, fear God. And then we're going to get to the end of how that works its way all the way out. Anybody got any questions?